we start today's episode, just to let you know, you can now nominate for the 2025 Northern Power Women Awards. To be in with a chance of celebrating with changemakers, trailblazers and advocates on the 6th of March 2025. Nominate now at wearepower.net. Power Women podcast for your career and your life, no matter what business you're in. Hello, happy May, and welcome to episode 23 of the Northern Power Women podcast. Your best career advice learn to swear. I'm Sam Walker, and this month we got together in Liverpool at the brilliant women's organisation and talked about the pitfalls of lunchtime drinking, your best career advice, and whether gender pay gap reporting will really lead to change. I sat my six-year-old girl down and explained about the gender pay gap uh, to her, and she laughed and said, Mummy, that doesn't happen. And I said, well, I'm really sorry to tell you, Ruby, uh, but it does. In the big interview, you'll hear from Alison Lobb. She's managing partner at Moorcroft Solicitors. And she discusses why she struggled when she first qualified and why women were once not considered people in the eyes of the law. Yeah, really. She also talks about her worst ever interview experience. And I couldn't work out really the significance of these questions. It was only afterwards I thought, she's probably trying to ask me, are you going to have a family? That interview went nowhere. I ended up saying, oh, we're not getting anywhere here. And she said, no, we're not. And we just both walked away. And in Ask the Hive, what to do if you hate team building away days? Should you face your fears or run away? Um, I'd, I'd start first is, is asking yourself why you don't like them. What, what particular parts of them don't you like? So when you're visualising the day, break it down into, into segments and think which bits of it don't you like most? But first, let's catch up with all the latest news from Northern Power Women HQ from our very own founder, Simone Roche. Welcome to episode 23 of the Northern Power Women podcast, recorded in front of a buoyant audience at the Women's Organisation in Liverpool. Thanks so much to our engaged panellists, Joanne Austin from the Women's Org, uh, Jenny Riding, entrepreneur extraordinaire, and Phil McCabe from Merseyside and Cheshire um, FSB. Thanks also to not only our power lister and transformational leader shortlisted, uh, but Alison Lobb, um, who was our person with purpose interview, who also attended the live recording. Um, we're delighted to be launching our first series of events with NatWest, kicking off in Cumbria at T-Base Services on the 22nd of May uh, for our role model series. Please do join us and get involved. Um, save the date, the 16th of March, 2020. I know, seems ages away for the fifth, I know, fifth, fifth, fifth Northern Power Women Awards. Um, we're delighted this month to also support the Meet Your Future event with the Mayor of Manchester, Andy Burnham and Bridge GM, launching their work shadowing um, opportunities across Greater Manchester, um, which we launched back in November at Northern Power Futures. 
check out some of our brilliant blogs, uh, guest blogs this month, including the phenomenal Nikki Chance Thompson, Kirsty Styles talking about her stand-up for journalism, Jane Dalton on We Can, Paul Lancaster on the brilliant uh, North East Startup Fest, which takes place in May, and Trisha Williams talking about Atta Girls, and of course, our weekly self-curious blog from Claire Eddington. We've got some great articles about powerful women of their time too on the website, including Eleanor Rathbone, Beatrix Potter and Emmeline Pankhurst. So please check them out. And we're also continuing our We Can campaign, which you can sign up to on the website. Tell us what you're committing to, not pledging or might be doing, but what you're actually doing to accelerate gender equality from the north of England. And we've got other themes to join in. We can achieve, we can lead, we can mentor and much more. And we've got some exciting news coming soon about the Power of Woman book being curated curated with Professor Jane Turner from Teesside University and Remember Media. More information coming soon. Have a great month. And safe, safe, safe packing up travels to our wonderful, wonderful Sam Walker, who's headed off to Arizona uh, for a new life with her family over there. But never fear. Northern Power Women podcast continues and we'll be continuing our monthly escapades across the country and Sam will be still hosting them for us from across the other side of the pond. Safe travels and thank you for everything, Sam. Thank you to the lovely Simone Roche. We may not have FaceTime for a while, but we still got FaceTime, if you know what I mean. Thank you. Now, each month, we get together in a location somewhere in the north to chat, network and to discuss some of the month's hottest topics. And this time, we were hosted by the wonderful women's organisation in Liverpool. Look at this. The sun is shining down on us in Liverpool this afternoon. And here we are for the recording of episode 23... I know, of the Northern Power Women podcast. Hello, I'm Sam Walker. A very, very big thank you today to the wonderful women's organisation who are hosting us this afternoon and as ever to our three beautiful panellists today. A big hello, first of all, to Joanne Austin, who's the Engagement and Marketing Manager here at the Women's Organisation, the UK's leading provider for training and development opportunities for women. Jo, having run her own marketing consultancy and developed business marketing programmes for the Women's Organisation, is a self-confessed social media nerd. That's great. I love a nerd. Very underrated. And also unashamed feminist. Hello to you, Joanne. Thank you for being here as well. Uh, Phil McCabe is the Merseyside and Cheshire Development Manager for the Federation of Small Businesses. Phil supports volunteer activists and other small business members as well, frequently quoted in the media. You're very welcome. Very nice to see you here as well. Thank you. And last but absolutely not least is entrepreneur Jenny Riding, who is uh, with businesses in the environmental sector, Ankara environmental and tourism and hospitality the lodges are Artle, Artlegarth is that right Artlegarth I got it right and happy days as well so Jenny yeah did uh, actually begin by studying law going on to work in the environment sector in uh, industrial cleaning and hazardous waste management sounds like my daughter's bedroom hello and has since branched out with businesses as I said in the tourism sector thank you panelists very welcome to be here thank you for coming Right, let's start off then with question number one this month. This week, insurance giants Lloyds of London have banned their staff from drinking between nine and five. 
So no swift pints at lunchtime. Simone's currently holding up a pint of vodka. Uh, but it is, it is believed that if they believe a staff member has had a drink, they will be banned from the building. Do you think this is good business practice, Jenny, or unnecessary coddling of adults' behaviour? Well, I was quite shocked that they felt they had to bring the rule in. Obviously, it is prevalent in their business, um, and it made me feel a bit prudish because I thought, surely people don't do that anymore. That, that's gone. We're all professional people. Um, if only because one glass of wine is enough to get me on my way, and then I just want to <laughs> sleep all afternoon. So it's not really conducive to productivity. Um, but then when I thought about it, I thought, how does it work if, if then they're requiring people to go and uh, with clients and then it's client entertainment? So, you know, maybe there's a bit of a blurred boundary there, which, uh, you know, is difficult to navigate. And they've obviously imposed this rule. So uh, but yeah, definitely for me, I keep my drinking for evenings and weekends. Thank you. You can get a job at Lloyd's tomorrow. You'll be absolutely <laughs> fine. Um, Phil. Uh, I mean, again, it's interesting what Jenny was saying there about clients, um, you know, entertaining clients at lunchtime. Do you think this is the case that 99.9% of people you presume do drink responsibly, but this is a bit of a sledgehammer for the couple who don't? Yeah, I think there's a difference. You know, certainly when you're talking about from a business's perspective, and completely understand it, you don't want drunkenness. You don't want your staff to be drunk for a start. But okay, you know, talking about maybe a glass of wine or, or a pint, does that really matter? Well, I, I don't think it's when the drinking happens the problem. Uh, it's, you know, an hour or so later, as you mentioned, productivity. Yeah. I can't see it necessarily being improved by even just, you know, a, a pint or, or a glass of wine. Um, so I do understand, I would say, in defence of alcohol, and I declare it interest, <laughs> I like a drink. Um, the, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, you know, often business deals, uh, that's part of, of, of business meetings and, and lunchtime business meetings, and it can um, be an aid to, to the conversations of those deals going through. But I think when, it's, when you talk about your employees and, um, and you're thinking in terms of productivity, which is really important, yeah, I can understand. Mm. It's interesting the point you just made there about quite often business deals are brokered over lunchtime with a few drinks. What about the people, and it seems younger people especially, who actually are caring more for their health than perhaps our slightly older generations have done in the past and so feel uncomfortable when everyone else is around them drinking and they're like, I don't want to have a few drinks because I'm going to go to the gym after work or perhaps due to their faith or their culture, they don't want to drink. Is this almost levelling the playing field in a way? Yeah, I, I can see that. I think it's um, it's each case should be taken on its own merits. And um, you know, if you're if you're having a, a business lunch and um, there was someone who was really uncomfortable about drinking, it's not that big a deal not to, is it? You know, but I think each case needs to be looked at on its own merits uh, in that sense. Joanne, banning drinking. I don't know what the policy of the women's organisation is, or whether you're all swift halves <laughs> at lunchtime. But I mean, what do you think about this? Is it is it a sledgehammer or is it? necessary because the way the world is changing i suppose i have to declare a slight vested interest in this question because my partner owns a craft beer shop um and i'm also a self-confessed gin fan (laughs) um when i was looking into the story a little bit more though i did notice that one of the reasonings behind it was it had um quite a lot of complaints about sexual harassment and so that started me thinking about is it really the drinking that's an issue or is it really actually the culture of that organization and i think the fact they've had to put that measure in place to me is indicative that they've got something wrong much Mm. earlier along the line um because you know we work in an organization where 
as um, the other panellists have said, you know, there may be occasions where you go to a networking event and there's a glass of wine on. And we have staff who sort of very carefully measure how much they are drinking. But obviously in that organisation, it's become a problem and there's underlying issues that go far beyond Mm. drinking you know sexual harassment in the workplace is not acceptable on any level and so for me I think what they really needed to do was journey back and look at what's the culture of our organisation and how are we instilling the right values in our staff so that would alcohol be presented in a business scenario that they'd still make the right choices really that Mm. was more of the issue for me. Yeah you're right actually because someone who's oh, well, I only sexually harassed her because I was a bit drunk. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that's the, the greatest... Oh, well, take, take the drink away then and everything's fine. <laughs> Probably isn't the greatest idea. What, what does everyone here in the audience think? I mean, have you ever worked anywhere that has, has frowned upon you nipping to the pub at lunchtime? I'm lunging to the back of the room. Yes, hello. So I work for a train operating company and our guards and drivers have a safety critical role. Therefore... Any drink is totally banned. And then I think in the interest of fairness, the rest of the organisation, so I work in finance, we are also subject to the same rules. And for instance, when I started, I had a medical there that involved me having a hearing test, a urine sample, um, various other different tests that they did. It was really invasive. And I was thinking, hang on, I'm only working in finance. This is a bit weird. But I think it was introduced on the interests of fairness. But I think outside the hours of nine and five, when it's your own time, then, then people are a bit more lax about what we do. So everyone just accepts that because it's a company-wide policy, that that's how it is, yeah. It's not It's not a massive issue, I don't mm. believe. No one else has raised it in our office that it's been a problem. Anyone, anyone thank you. Very, really interesting point. Anyone else? As, yes, I'm, I'm going to lunge to the third row here. It's like the Krypton Factor Assault Course here. I'm going to put a knee on a chair, yes. So we're part of the police, I'm part of the police, I am police staff. Obviously police officers aren't allowed to drink, so police staff aren't allowed to drink and it's just, that's our culture, that's what we do. None of us have a drink and it's very frowned upon. And don't get me wrong, I go to a lot of meetings where with industry, we're like, do you want a drink? Do you want to have this? And I'm like, no, no, uh, you know, I can't, I'm not allowed. And it, I don't feel bad because I don't have it. I'm just like, no, it's not for me. You know, ask me out on a social instead <laughs> after work. So that I'm used to it. So it, it does seem very strange when I see business people having a drink. I'm like, wow, you're allowed to drink at lunchtime. Um, yeah. It's it's very strange for me to see that, yeah. yeah. I think, thank you very much. And, and it goes back, I suppose, to what you were saying at the very beginning, Jenny. I remember my very first job was in a recording studio in London and the man there who was, who'd actually mixed tubi bells how cool was he but every lunchtime two two solid pints and I remember once trying to have a second pint with him and I was I think I fell asleep about three o'clock yeah no def- definitely for me I'd be one in an afternoon nap if, <laughs> if I had a lunch uh, lunchtime drink so and really for me you know drinking is about fun isn't it letting loose Going out and having one drink in a, in a you know, formal environment isn't really what it's about for me. I, you know, it's so so. It's not something that I would really be looking to do. Thank you. I, just as an aside, if you look this story up online, one of the issues there was a bar next to Lloyd's that opened at seven a.m. <laughs> seven and served quite a lot the of booze. Thing it seemed. You're not allowed to drink from nine till five. I did notice that there isn't anything about morning drinking breakfast with your gin still fine get that in early thank you so much look this is about starting a conversation we'd love to hear from you we've had some brilliant comments from the audience today get in touch you can send us you can tweet us at north power women or of course email podcast at northernpowerwomen.com 
Now, here we go. Can you believe already we're into the second year of larger companies reporting the gender pay gap? It's just happened, of course. A little change, essentially. That's the headline to the figures. 11.9% this year, 11.8% last year. Is this essentially, and this is quite a big question, is this a worthwhile exercise? Is anything going to change, I suppose, Phil? Oh, I think so. Um, I think it is two years in, as you say, but it's, you might say it's only two years, and these things do take time. I think being able to to expose uh, this disparity with facts and figures is better than not being able to do it. Um, I'm maybe I'm, I'm kind of an optimist, but I'm I'm more positive about the fact that change is happening. Um, you know, FSB um, recently launched its Women in Business Task Force. Um, and we produced a report showing the economic cost of the underutilisation of women in the workplace and women-owned businesses. Uh, and, you know, FSB is one of the traditional, if you like, um, kind of lobby groups and bu- business representative organisations. Um, and, you know, made me really proud that we're taking a lead in this. So when you start getting organisations like us not just uh, paying lip service uh, to gender equality, but actually doing something about it. I think that bodes well for the future. There is, of course, the question of the pace of change, and everyone would like to see Mm. change happen more quickly, but, you know, it doesn't always happen like that. So I'd say, yes, let's keep this and build on it. Do you think think, um, there should be, uh, Joanne, some sort of diving into these figures because I have seen some reports that say look some companies going to fudge this some companies are sacking off loads of their lower paid female cleaning staff and outsourcing that to companies so that isn't part of the gender pay gap that's a nice little way around it and yet to be fair as well other companies have decided to really really push on recruiting uh, sort of uh, junior women to then see them progress up through the roles but that's going to take five ten years before of course that starts to rectify so I mean, what, what do you think about this, this is I suppose your, your real bread and butter stuff <laughs> yeah, I suppose for us, um, you know, the race of change isn't really a surprise to us because we've been here for 23 years now um, pushing for gender equality. And to us, it's sort of a shame our service is still needed at the women's organisation because you'd love to see gender equality across the board. I think when it comes to the gender pay gap, though, I am glad they put that measure in place because I do think at least the amount of times that I've heard people say to me, oh, well, the gender pay gap's not even real. Um, And so that is one of my massive frustrations, I have to say. So at least it is a little bit more transparent in that sense. I do agree with you, though, where you're saying often um, companies use other methods to kind of hide the statistics that don't look favourably for them. Mm. Um, I feel that often when government reports are released, you know, around, oh, look how much employment's improved and things. Um, But when you dig deeper, it's like, well, what jobs do those people have? Is a zero-hour contract included in that? And I think you're definitely right that some sort of segmenting needs to be done with those statistics to look at what does that really mean? And from there, there needs to be some policy around what what are we going to encourage companies to do to turn this around? Because it is a big issue, but I do think it's a long-term yeah. issue. And the fact that we've not seen much change in the year just emphasises that for me. Do you think it's carrot or stick that these companies need to be approached with? Oh, that's a really difficult question. <laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll lunge. I'll lunge over to. Je- I mean, you're an entrepreneur, Jenny. You, yeah. you know, you have set up many, many businesses. I'm going to come round the back of this table. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm going to have my back to you. Um, you've you've set up a lot of businesses. I mean, 
when you are looking at the infrastructure of your business, do you sit and, and think, well, I need to have an equal number of men and women at similar roles? How, how does it work from the inside? Um, not particularly. I'm looking at, at the sex of people. But actually, um, the, in all my businesses, they are female dominated. And one of them businesses is actually tank cleaning, industrial cleaning um, of you know, not so much on the operative side, but in the directors, there's an equal amount of females as there is males uh, in an industry where that's actually quite unusual. Um, but we do find, you know, that that really brings a great mix uh, to, to the board. And, and it's always worked well for us and we've had successful businesses. Um, I, do, I find that it's useful, the exercise for them having uh, the data. There are too many variables, I think, to make it meaningful. But at least it is allowing the conversation to continue. Um, but the rate of change to me is frustrating. I, I sat my six-year-old girl down on International Women's Day, never too young, raising feminists, and explained about the gender pay gap uh, to her. And she laughed and said, Mummy, that doesn't happen. And I said, well, I'm really sorry to tell you, Ruby, uh, but it does. So hopefully when you get to your working age, it won't happen anymore. Um, but, you know, it's for her to laugh that off at how ridiculous it is. And it's true. And so the fact that people are saying, you know, it's a long term problem. It's just frustrating, you know, just get on and do it. Make the change uh, and reap the rewards and the benefits from doing it. It seems so. If you're saying that you are in a, a traditionally, and I'm doing air quotes, traditionally male industry, and yet without too much effort on your part, you've managed to have a, a parity between genders. What is the issue? Is it because you are a female, you're, you're at the top of the tree and you're a female, and so you just without even thinking about it, are more open to women taking on those roles? Could it be that it comes down to unconscious bias that people are hiring people more like them so if you have a traditionally male-led board without even thinking about it they're just going to hire more men is it as simple as that there is a mindset and that culture still does exist sometimes and i have walked into a room and people are talking about football which i have zero uh, to say on and they're arranging their golf days like you were saying before about people that don't drink so i'm there in an environment where i think oh how do I go about this now? But I just went in there anyway and changed the conversation, uh, you know, and succeeded regardless. So, you know, it is for women as well to, to, to not shy away from them difficult circumstances yeah. and to find the way in as well, you know, to battle it from both sides, to try and get the mindset and culture change, but people to, to just go in regardless and do their bit. Okay. All right. Thank you. Is it, I'm just mindful, actually, of a a person with purpose interview we did oh about a year ago now in newcastle helen helen baker from sage and she was talking about um sage recruiting from the lgbt community and saying it's not enough to to kind of put an ad in the guardian or the times or whatever and say oh we are an equal opportunities employer at the bottom that's not enough saying we're open for business isn't enough she said you have to actively go and recruit and recruit in on websites and in newspapers specifically lose, used by the community you want to uh, attract not just wait but sit back and go well the offer was there but no one came so that's why i think i was meaning about carrot and stick perhaps there needs to be a bit more of anyone here i mean it's interesting what you were saying uh, Jenny about your six-year-old daughter saying that doesn't exist was anyone here aware of the gender pay gap really until the last few years did you think it was a thing yes I'm lunging hello 
Well, for me, I felt like I was in a cocoon, really, for 22 years because I was in a self-employed world with lots of women. And um, the great Anita Roddick ran that business, and she was just the pioneer of women can be anything they want to be. So these women were building massive, massive businesses. So for me, when I came out of that world, and over the last two years, it's been like, really? That goes on? Um, so I was really naively uh, shocked, really, how, how it, it works. But in answer to you, you know, your carrot or stick, really, well, if you try the carrot and the carrot doesn't work, what are you going to do? You're going to have to try another solution, aren't you? And at the end of the day, it has to change, doesn't it? I mean, as uh, Ruby said, at six years old, it is absolutely laughable, isn't it, mm. that it's still happening? So, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of people who build their own businesses who are not aware that actually, you know, yeah. that is going on, and it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Anyone else here got any experience of perhaps finding out a co-worker didn't own, earn the same as them? I mean, oh yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm heading back to Joanne. The reason I ask is quite often we're not open about salaries and wages in this country, are we? And we maybe don't know what the person next to us is, is earning. And we always hear that, well, women should negotiate better. Uh, so... Okay, I'm, I'm shushing. Joanne, yes. <laughs> That's okay. Um, it was actually a friend of mine. Um, she was working for an estate agent at the time, and I remember her coming to me for a bit of advice because she'd been working there slightly longer than anyone else. She was bringing in more commission than anyone else. Um, but through conversations with colleagues, she realised a male counterpart was earning more than her. So she did actually take the initiative to approach her boss and said, you know, this really isn't on. I'm bringing mm. you more money, but you're giving me less is there a reason and he said well you know at any point you could leave me couldn't you to have children <laughs> which uh-huh. is just like ah did, did he really say that but and this was 1955 this conversation obviously yeah <laughs> within the last five years um but he did try and make her feel better by saying don't worry i've told the other woman who works here the same <laughs> and so that was better but i think the issue was there like i explained to her you know there are actually laws in place to prevent yeah. this um but the problem is again sort of if you're then trying to go through that legal process that can make the working environment very difficult and so what happened in my friend's case and i think what happens very much across the board is she left to get a promotion elsewhere and i think that happens an awful lot Mm. so there definitely needs to be institutional change within the organizations where that's still an issue because i think yes women do need to sort of challenge this but i think it does make for an uncomfortable working environment it's exhausting calling it out oh absolutely and so yes we do need to speak up and call it out as and where we can but i think it needs to be a two-way street doesn't it oh um, yes 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 sorry i have to nip around this table again yep But that gender inequality has actually been illegal since 1970, and that still happens. It happened to me in 2008. I didn't even know it was illegal. I knew it really, really annoyed me and also caused me to leave and set up my own businesses. Um, But that has actually been illegal. This is a median pay gap, so it's more indicative of less women in higher roles um, rather than the same, uh, a a male and female at the same role being paid the same. But that still happens, and that's been illegal since 1970. So the fact that that's been legislated and is still an issue, you know, suggests that perhaps that 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 hasn't even been fixed. So, you know, it's a huge problem. It's a problem that's existed for a very long time. And, and, uh, yeah, it just, it needs to change. 
Let's keep talking about it. Essentially, yeah. it's the bottom line, isn't it? And and do that, please. Let us know your thoughts. You can always tweet us at North Power Women. Of course, the conversation is very, very much open to you. Okay, our final question today, and this was um, a really interesting article you might have seen about the entrepreneur Cara Sayer, and she is the woman who uh, created pram hoods for buggies and prams after not being able to find a sunshade for her daughter. The business grew really, really fast, and she's spoken really openly about her, how her mental health suffered. She, she, in fact, had a nervous breakdown following the rapid expansion of her business. And she now has said her absolute number one advice to anyone building their career or, in fact, um, just, just starting at the start of a business is to take baby steps she said you can still dominate the world even if you take baby steps to do it. And I just wanted to hear from the panel today. What would your advice be about the world of work to someone at the very start of their career? I'm going to start with you, Joanne. Um, I think this is a really interesting one and in sort of looking at that particular woman's journey. Um, she had this brilliant idea, didn't she, that sort of snowballed beyond what she'd anticipated and I think for me that's one of the key things um, to take away from that story is sort of anticipating where things might go particularly around enterprise um, and that's where sort of going through the former process of putting a business plan together and actually getting some advice and things like that can help um, because certainly that would help you to anticipate what may come and you can't always um, that's kind of why at the women's organisation one thing we've done more recently is branched out into the health sector though um, and started to put on more wellbeing programmes around stress management um, and positive mindset and things like that because I think particularly in entrepreneurship it can be very lonely you know is um, one of the key issues but certainly you know that management of cash flow where you've had a you know a steady income and things like that there's so many new things that can add stress um to your life so i think there needs to be support for both there needs to be support for mental well-being as well as the practicalities of business to support people in that setup scenario um i think in in your careers outside of entrepreneurship as well it's sort of taking a bit of control of your career as well isn't it and just kind of again planning your journey and your way forward and looking at you know what are the things that might come up but I think scenarios like exactly what we've just talked about in the last question um, going into the world of work sometimes there's things you don't anticipate like if you're just fresh out of university or school and going into the world of work and not aware of the gender pay gap for instance or the inequalities in the workplace that can sort of set you off on a bad foot as well I know for myself um, where I'd worked previously to here um, it was very male dominated and I suddenly you know had to deal with sexual harassment in the workplace I had to deal with men in their 50s who really hated the fact that me in my 20s had been promoted above them not listening to what I was saying and things like that and I suppose going back to sort of planning your career I'd really like to see within the education field some of that being introduced into the curriculum of preparing you for those elements of the workplace of the relationships between teams and who might you come up against that will make life really difficult difficult in the workplace I suppose because they're the things that you're not prepared for and that can really cause you to have you know difficulties in terms of mental well-being in the workplace. Brilliant thank you very much really great advice there. Uh, Phil you work with 
so many different business owners, business leaders, people who, um, you know, across many different sectors as well. What would your advice be? I think from the point of view of um, a young employee coming into the workplace, the, the key thing is um, is be a self-starter. Um, that's what small business owners, that's what all, all businesses are looking for, is, is, are people that are proactive. But I think that also benefits the employee. You know, throw yourself into it, even if you're not necessarily in that position for very long. Soak everything up and, and learn and, and evolve. Um, if you're starting a business, I think, Probably the, the best advice I've ever been given is my old boss, a guy called Len Collinson um, from Collinson Grant. Um, di- only died last year, unfortunately. Um, he wrote a book, an unpublished book on this, and how to start a business. And he said, you know, you, you're likely to have started your business, well, A, because you want to be your own boss, but because you have a skill or, or, or some kind of expertise that, that you think you could use for a business, but nobody's going to care. <laughs> You absolutely have to prioritize, prioritize sales and marketing and, if necessary, learn those sales and marketing techniques in order to find your customers. That's, that's key. That's great advice. Thank you very much. Well, look, a woman who set up many, many businesses has been at the point of being at the start of that journey. Um, Jenny, what would your advice be? Um, my advice would be uh, not necessarily to take baby steps. Obviously, her experience, um, you know, it's good that actually she's spoken out about her experience because we hear about, a lot about success stories and not a lot of people talk about actually how hard it is to achieve that success. Um, so I think it's really good that she has spoken out. But sometimes opportunities present themselves or for her, she had an invention, which I presume she had a period of time to make the most of that before the copycats could come in and and, and possibly, you know, muscle her out. So it's really hard that. Um, I would say build up your support networks. They are vital. Uh, Obviously, your business support networks. uh, I've done work with and continue to do with the women's organization. They are a fantastic source of support and information. And also your personal networks, you know, your friends. I've got a bunch of girls. When we're stressed, we run up to the top of a fell and we actually shout out loud sometimes, sometimes involving swear words. <laughs> and then we run back down the fell, giggling, and I just come back down a different person. And that is important as well. And, and to have all them people around you so that if it gets hard, you know, and if it gets difficult, then you can draw on them resources. You know, you're just one person. You can only do so much. You have to remember that, uh, you know, and do what you can and, and try and keep it enjoyable as you go I love that run up a mountain there's a great one has anyone else got anything they want to share yes lady with the fantastic trainers in the front row I have been <laughs> eyeing them throughout yes you can borrow them anytime um, hi it's uh, Jill Felt and I've had I've been an entrepreneur and I had um, a PR business but <coughs> I suffered serious stress in the workplace with without knowing I was doing it I was building up to serious illness and what I would say to anybody starting a business or in business at school at home retired wherever they are is mental health is the most important thing to look after if your mindset isn't strong you will eventually suffer Mm. an illness and I would say put all the things in place 
to keep yourself nice and calm, you know, like running up a fell, yeah. falling down a fell. I'm a fell. So um, do things, meditation, go to yoga, fit something in that's just for you to clear your mind and to just build up a nice strength mm. that you can cope with Whatever nastiness comes at you, there'll always be someone wanting to pull the rug from under you. But you know you've got enough self-love and confidence about yourself that you can cope with things, rise above things, sit, do a little brainstorm, get an action plan going. But don't let overwhelm of whoever's bringing it to you make you sick. But I'm ag I agree with you, sometimes baby steps you just want to run don't you you just want to get you've got your idea you want to run with it and then people like here will just support support groups and and swear learn to swear <laughs> yes i won't now but you know who else is going to get that tattooed on their skin i am learn to swear yes thank you hi it's emma craig here i would encourage a person in that position to think about personally what they want out of it the lady in question she solved the issue with the hoods that's great she's created a product but what next is it about creating a lifestyle is it providing an income so you never run out of money and don't have to worry about money anymore so if that's the case then quantify it how much work how long will it take to get that income and lifestyle that i need then think about well am, am i still happy in the business and if you're not think about selling it Thank you all so much. It's been an absolutely brilliant afternoon. The sun is still shining as well. Huge thank you to our panellists. Thank you to Joanne and to Phil and to Jenny as well. And to you to being here. Thank you. A big thank you again to our wonderful panel and everyone who came along and took part. Do keep your eyes open for the location of our next live recording. We'll post the details on Twitter at North Power Women or on Instagram at Northern Power Women and we would love you to join us. The big interview this month comes from Alison Lobb, who is managing partner at Moorcroft Solicitors. And not many women in the country hold that position within a law firm. I started by asking Alison why she'd chosen law. I don't remember choosing the law. I I remember um, school careers evenings and and probably being attracted to the people who came to talk to us about it. And I remember my mum saying, problem solving and finding the answers, that would be great, wouldn't it? Um, whereas I suspect the backstory was, it's a really good thing to do and you might earn lots of money. Um, and I, I suppose... I thought, well, a law degree is a good thing to do, even if you don't want to do the law, which unfortunately a lot of people think, and then they come out the other end thinking, now what do I do? Um, but in, in the day when I did it, once you started a law degree, you got on that treadmill because you had to apply for the law college bit, which is a bit after in your first year, and then in your second year, you had to start applying for training contracts, which was then called articles. So, you know, before you'd even got to the end of your degree, you already had a three, three years of career mapped out in front mm -hmm. of you anyway. Um, and you just sort of landed in it, um, but I did. I did enjoy it. Um, I was actually. I after I did my training contract, I worked for a while in another firm in private practice, and I didn't enjoy it at all. And I ended up leaving the law for a couple of years, and then working 
uh, in for what was then the Legal Aid Board, which was sort of the public sector side of things. And I learned an awful lot there. And I got involved in training other people and going out and auditing other firms. And that sort of led me back into private practice. So who who were your role models in those early years of your career? If you kind of fell into it, if you like, <laughs> if you weren't led into it but fell into it, who were those role models? Um, I'm not actually sure I had any particular role models. I, th- I think I, I mean there was a lady who I trained with for the f- final year of my training contract when I was doing family law, and she was a lady who was not qualified in any way. Uh, she'd just worked her way up through a firm. She was the only person in the firm doing family law and she was very, very good at what she did. She was also very, very down to earth. She chain smoked, um, obviously constantly, um, and she just taught me an awful lot about how to deal with people, how to relate to people. And I think the fact that she wasn't actually a qualified solicitor was important as well because mm-hmm. it just showed that you didn't need all the badges and the, it was more about what you did and how you did it than all the labels that you had and the qualifications you had. So you, you qualified in the 90s. What, what, was, what was the profession like then in terms of representation of women? I think one of the reasons why I struggled when I first qualified was because I was a woman. And I, I didn't realise it at the time, but I realised it looking back. Uh, the first place I went to work after I qualified was a very male-dominated firm and... Um, it was difficult mm. and I think I was treated differently. Um, I was probably considered to be someone who wasn't going to achieve as much, who probably wasn't going to be very ambitious. Um, and also, the other, I, I had an interview with another firm for, for a job, and it was a large commercial firm, and the person who was supposed to be interviewing me didn't actually turn up, so the head of HR uh, started talking to me. And she said, we'll do some preliminary questions. And she started talking about, well, where, do, where do you see yourself in 10 years' time? What kind of lifestyle do you imagine? And and I started saying, well, you know, I'd quite like to live in maybe a, a flat in the dock or, you know, what kind of car would you like to drive and all this. And I couldn't work out really the significance of these questions. It was only afterwards I thought, she's probably trying to ask me, are you going to have a family? And... And I actually, that interview went nowhere. I ended up saying, well, we're not getting anywhere here. And she said, no, we're not. And we just both walked away. And it was such an awful experience. But she was obviously sent, I think, to weed out the people that they weren't going to be interested in. And then maybe the boss would arrive later on and and do the the important bit of the interview. Wow. But to have the wherewithal at such a young age to go, look, we're not getting anywhere, are we? That's extraordinary. I can't believe I did that, to be honest, (laughs) looking back. Yeah, I'm not sure if that was really me. <laughs> so when when you did take the position with that first firm that, that ultimately you ended up leaving, were the times you felt that, especially as a young woman-in-law, you, you just didn't have a voice? Yes, I, felt, I think I felt like I was the drone in the back office to do the work and... Um, you know, maybe it was the the young male solicitors coming through who got the opportunities and got to go out and meet clients, got mm-hmm. to go out and network, were maybe showcased a little bit more and and possibly seen as the future. Um, I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know. You know, How, how's it changed now? I find this quite odd. I've been at my current firm for twenty years, and 
one of the reasons that I joined the firm was because my grandmother was volunteering at Citizens Advice Bureau and uh, she told me about this lovely solicitor who used to come in and how she worked at a firm and it was nearly all women and it must be such a lovely place to work and she talked and talked and talked about um, this firm um, which then merged and became Moorcroft Urquhart and then a job came up in the Echo and I thought I wasn't looking for a job and I had a good job I really enjoyed and I just thought just wonder so I applied for it and they offered it to me um and but one of the reasons that I particularly wanted to go there as well is because I'd been in that firm to audit it and I thought hasn't it got a lovely atmosphere and it was only really after I joined that I realized how many women worked there and the partnership then was probably slightly more men than women but not much um and then over the years Mm -hmm. the last 20 years as the older men have retired most of the people who've come through into the management roles and partnership have been women. So now we've got um, 11 partners and um, we've got four men and seven women. Um, Till recently that was nine women, but two of them have just retired. Our board of management is Mm. 50-50. Our management team is three women, two men. So in terms of our firm, it has changed considerably, but we haven't really noticed because that's just the way we are. Um, Would you say that's representative across the profession, though? Would you think you're unusual at having that parity at board level? We're very unusual. Um, But it's not until you hear experiences outside and you hear other people talking about things that have happened to them or places where they work that you realise that. Mm. Um, So um, I'm quite unusual being a female managing partner of a law firm. But because my predecessor was a woman and she'd done a really, really good job and she'd been there for nine years... It didn't occur to me that it was unusual for me. And it was actually Maggie O'Carroll who I was talking to one day and I said I was going to a dinner for managing partners of law firms. And she said, how many women will be there? And I hadn't even thought about it. So then I went to this dinner later and I looked around the room and I think there were 18 people and there were three women in the room. Um, And the others were women who'd actually left larger firms and gone to run their own firms because they wanted that lifestyle that that they weren't getting. it's changing slowly, um, but the problem in the legal profession is that there are more women than men coming in as solicitors, but they're not coming through into management roles mm. um, because they get lost along the way. And that's something that a lot of people are trying to address. And the current National Law Society president, Christina Blacklaws, has done a lot of work on that and a lot of roundtable events and, and getting a lot of men engaged in the conversation, mm. which has worked really well, I think. But it's, it needs to be, you know, her year finishes in, in June, July. It needs someone to carry that on. Yeah. Um, whether that will happen, I don't know. I very much hope it will. We're only, it's only this year, isn't it? Later on this year is 100 years since the anniversary that women were allowed to practice law. Yes. And you think in 100 years... A lot's changed and also not enough has changed. That's right. Yes, that's right. I mean, I say, I, I just find it very difficult, even the concept that men and women would be treated differently because that's not the experience I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, the debate about whether women should be allowed to tra- practice law was founded on whether a woman was a person. And 
<laughs> the legal definition of a woman was considered that they weren't a person in, under the law until that point. Until 100 years ago. Yes, yes. And embarrassingly, I discovered recently that actually Liverpool Law Society voted against allowing women into the profession, which we're quite ashamed of because we always think we're quite forward-thinking in Liverpool and, you know, going against the grain and, and um, yeah, standing up for people's rights. And actually on that occasion, clearly we wow. weren't. Yeah. Um, you work a lot in cases um, and over your career have worked a lot in cases that sometimes are very upsetting. You know, they mm. concern neglect and abuse and mm. quite often involve children. How have you managed to to protect yourself and protect your own well-being when you are working in conditions that will get you exposed to some really distressing facts? I think I'm quite fortunate in that um, I was able to detach from quite a lot of the stories that I heard about about abuse um, almost reading it as if it was a story of a fiction account mm. that um, someone else is telling but I mean to be my, my main way of dealing with anything like that is exercise and swimming um, I was a competitive swimmer when I was younger so I'm quite happy just go and plough up and down a pool um, and chase all the thoughts away and, and solve a lot of problems that way um, and I play tennis and you can't really think about anything else when you're doing that because you've got to think about this ball that you're going to hit and not letting your teammates down and being part of a team as well and feeling that support around you I think is really important to me so whether that's in work or in sport and I love the fact of having a team around me mm. and, and feeling you're achieving something together um, and that you know that sometimes now in a management role I think the pressures are very different probably not less stressful mm. uh, probably quite a lot more stressful but um again it's 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 just finding an escape valve i think um and i go walking a lot as well you know when you're walking and looking at beautiful scenery and countryside and you know sometimes it does just chase away all the negativity and and makes you gives you a new lease of life Because law isn't known as a profession of being particularly good at work-life balance uh billable hours (laughs) crazy long hours i mean I've spoken to some younger lawyers who are saying, well, actually, that's how it has been. Mm. We're not going to stand for that in a Mm. way anymore. Has the law got some work to do, though, do you think? Has the profession got some work to do around the well-being of the people who work within it? Or is is that changing? There was a report yesterday which said that um, law is the second most stressful profession. I haven't read the report. I've just seen the headline, so I don't know what's the most stressful. Um... But that doesn't surprise me in the slightest because particularly these days there are a lot more pressures on lawyers. It's a lot harder to make money out of the law. Um, Businesses that traditionally were probably able to allow people a bit more flexibility and almost to get away with doing doing a bit less are now really cracking down on people. Um, You know, targets are rising, people are being expected to do more and people are also expected to do more in terms of networking and promoting themselves Mm. outside of office hours. Um, so, you know, certainly for me, it doesn't stop. And I can see the next generation looking at me and thinking, I'm not sure whether I want to actually do that. I think the law does have a lot of work to do. I think the way people work needs to be addressed. I think there's a lot to be said in allowing people a lot more flexibility, not tying them to a desk nine to five. If they want to do their work at different hours of the day, if they want to go out and see clients and have and then have a sort of a bit of headspace in between with the drive or or whatever, then why not let them do that? Mm. Um, There are quite a few firms out there who are adapting a model where um, they're not a traditional law firm. People 
they they work as a hub and people are independent self-employed consultants mm-hmm. and they they just use the central services and and pay for that and then it's up to them what they do and you know what they make they they keep then and um you know there's lots of different ways of doing things but ultimately also we are dependent on what our clients expect from us and some people expect a certain mm. level of service a, a certain uh to be contactable at certain times for people to dress in a certain way and and um particularly i think people who come to you for personal services and and certain a certain generation probably expect you to be suited mm. booted 9 to 5 be able to contact someone and um and so it's in a way it's sort of trying to get the message out as well to our clients that that we can do things a little bit differently it doesn't mean we're not as good as other people <laughs> looking back on your career is there anything you do differently i would probably have been a little bit more assertive as a young lawyer in terms of deciding what i wanted to do um trying to learn a bit more from others not been scared of messing up and doing wrong um and yeah um because i do feel that i sort of i wasted some time in my early career because i didn't know what to do um i know a lot of female lawyers who've had that same experience who've spent maybe a year or so outside of the profession and then gone back in or done something else completely um i think i'd probably if i'd known that other people had that kind of experience maybe had a support group or a, a mentoring or something um and i also think that um i would like to have known that there was something else other than just being a solicitor for the rest of my life you know i never knew that i'd end up as managing partner and it's it's what i've always wanted when when i got to it and it you know i love it um and i think I, it would have been good to have known that there's there's other areas to go into and other things to do and finally then what would your advice be not just to young women at the start of a law career but at the start of any career i think that people need to know that if you make a mistake early on in your life it's not going to live with you forever you're going to remember it far longer than anybody else will it's okay to make mistakes nobody's perfect the important thing is you learn from them and you don't do it again um and i do think that it's really important to learn from other people to ask people questions uh not to be shy about saying i'm not perfect and i want to come and find out how you do what you do uh because i think i was probably again scared of that i i didn't want people to know i wasn't perfect at everything because i thought i might be shot down um and it's only much much later in my life that i've learned to actually go to somebody who is brilliant at what they do and and ask them how you do that thank you so much to our wonderful power lister alison lob If there's someone whose career you would love to know more about, someone who's inspired you, someone on our Northern Power Women Power list that you would just like to know a bit more about and what makes them tick, do let us know. You can email us podcast at northernpowerwomen.com. Now it's time for Ask the Hive. Now this is a place where you can ask about any problems that you're facing at work or concerns you have about your career, and the Northern Power Women Hive Mind lends you its wisdom. This month, if the date on the calendar of the team building away day for the office fills you with absolute dread what are your real options
hate company away days where you have to do things like paintball and team building. I like my job and I like my colleagues, but this stuff I just can't stand. There's one in May and I just don't want to do it at all. What can I do? My advice is that you always surprise yourself with how much fun you have sometimes and I guess also be considerate that how your negative attitude comes across to the other people that are perhaps a bit more excited to do this kind of thing. Uh, so just support them a bit more and you never know, you might surprise yourself and enjoy it. I think it's a good way to engage with your colleagues when they're letting the guard down in a more informal environment. You can often get to know people a little bit better. You can see where the strengths and weaknesses of the team might come in and also where you can gel together and explore those team dynamics. Um, I'd, I'd start first is, is asking yourself why you don't like them. What, what particular parts of them don't you like? So when you're visualising the day, break it down into, into segments and think which bits of it don't you like most um, and, and work, work on that. So it might be, for example, that you just feel uncomfortable in certain situations. So how can you help yourself not to feel uncomfortable in certain situations? Is there a part of the day that you don't particularly like? And perhaps speak to someone, you, you know, your boss about it, your, your upline, and, and tell them what your reservations are and why you feel uncomfortable. And perhaps they can help it, it become easier for you, make it easier. My advice, I think, is I think it depends on what day of the week it is and all that 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 type of stuff. Um, I think if you can try and avoid it and you don't really want to go, then try to try to do so. Come up with some sort of lame excuse or, or, or whatever it is that you can do. Um, otherwise, if it's a commitment that's kind of midweek or as part of your standard working day, I think you've probably got to go through with it. Fight the bullet, I'm afraid. I think if you work in an organisation where you want to get to know the people you work with and um, you know meet colleagues that you don't necessarily talk to all the time it is a good way of doing that. I think they're worth going and, and having a go. They can definitely have their benefits and you might have a laugh, you might have a bit of crack when you're there. So I think just go with the flow a little bit is probably the advice I'd give on that. Go with a very open-minded, yeah. Um, you never know what opportunity is standing around the corner. So, um, you know, give it a try, give it your best and you never know what you learn. This one made me laugh just because of something that happened to me personally. Um, I was working for a big corporate and we would go to the Lake District for a camping experience and, you know, outdoor pursuits, um, which culminated in me having to jump off a cliff into Lake Oldswater. And then I had flu for three weeks. So I was off work for three weeks. So I just wanted to share that experience and just say there's always a different way that you can get involved. You don't have to do the actual activity itself. So whether it's organ helping organise the event, being there on the day with your team but not actually taking part, I don't think there's any shame in saying, listen, this one's not for me, but I'm going to come along and enjoy the ride. Thank you so much if you took time to offer your advice this month. Really, really appreciated and some very funny stories in there as well. So thank you. This month, a dilemma about working potentially with friends. My close friend's applying for a job at the company where I work and she's asked me to put a word in. But as much as I love her, I don't think she's right for the job. I don't know what to do. Help. 
Have you got any advice? Should she come clean? Should she support her friend? Or tell a big fat fib? We'd love to hear from you. Just record a voice memo on your phone and email it to podcast at northernpowerwomen.com. If you've got an iPhone, you'll see a voice memo app. There's also one on your Android phones as well. It's dead easy. Just hold your phone up to your mouth, say what you'd like to say, and then press share. You can email it direct to us, podcast at northernpowerwomen.com. Or, of course, come to our next live panel recording. You can tell us there. All the details we will post for you on Twitter at North Power Women or on Instagram at northernpowerwomen.com. Well, there we go for yet another month of great stories, advice and ideas. A huge thank you for listening. Please do leave us your feedback and your reviews wherever you get your podcasts from. It really does help other people find us. And of course, spread the word. We'd love more people to come and join in the conversation. And save the date. The next episode arrives for you on Monday, the 3rd of June. Until then, this is the Northern Power Women podcast. I'm Sam Walker, and this has been a What Goes On Media production for Northern Power Women. Listener.